That's cool. That's awesome. Hey, um, how are you guys doing? Good, good, good. Um, as uh, my name's Clay, and I work in Alpharetta at a uh, Buckhead's connected to this church called North Point in Alpharetta, and that's where I work with high school students. It's cool for me to get to be with you guys, you you mature, seasoned college students, veterans of life. Um, great to be here. To quote Jay Z on his uh, Unplugged album that he did with the Roots Band, which is a great album. He said, you could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. And I mean that. You guys could have been a hundred other places tonight, but you chose to be at the living room. Way to go. I hope God gives you better grades tomorrow because of it. And if I could do something about that, I would. But it didn't work for me. So, hey, um, we're in the middle of the series. We're at the end of the series, actually. And I'm going to jump right in because we've got a long way to go, and we've got a little time to do it. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to John 13. We're going to be in John 13 tonight. We're going to go from John 13 to John 18 to John 21 in the course of minutes, mere minutes, and it's going to be hopefully um, a good time. I've got gum in my mouth, and that's inappropriate. I'm going to take that out real quick. Sorry about that. That's gross, and I apologize. Um, hey, we're in the middle of the series. We're at the end of the series called Just Not Normal, and Brad has done an incredible job teeing it up, talking about how, look, we want to create a place where, where the broken and the hurting are welcome, that most of the time the church in America has not done a great job of creating a place where people can walk in and be restored, where people who are hurting and broken can walk in and find the life that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to give. That if we created a place like that, it wouldn't be normal. It would be just not normal to create a place where the broken and the hurting and, and, and people who have uh, been scarred by life can find a home, can find a place where they can recover and restore and find life. And that's what we want to do here at The Living Room. Um, I was in this awkward conversation with my wife uh, a couple, let's see, it was around Thanksgiving, I guess, because that's when the situation broke out. But just after that, this Tiger Woods mania broke out on the news, which, by the way, is just unbelievable. Uh, not just the story, but how fascinated America is with the story is unbelievable. Um, and as we were talking about it, and all the details were coming out of how many affairs he had and all, and all, all of that, and then his public apology on his website, all that came out. My wife and I had this conversation, and she said, how do you feel about Tiger now, you know? She's like, you know, she's a woman, and she wanted me to say, oh, I hate the guy. I should have never done that or whatever. And, but I, I, I remember looking at her, and I said, you know what? Honestly, I feel sorry for him because I can totally understand how he made the mistakes that he made. And she looks at me with this really puzzled look and goes, what do you mean by that? You understood what he, you understand what he could have done. And as every guy can understand and as every guy can relate to, that same thing that's in Tiger Woods that caused him to do all that he did, that same thing, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, that same thing is in you and it's in me. And ladies, that might come as a big shocker to you. You're looking at your boyfriend like, please tell me it's not true, you know? But the reality is, it is true. And in ladies, the same thing is true. That, that the, greatest, the greatest tragedy, the greatest travesty that you see in Hollywood on the Gossip Channel on TMZ's website, the greatest problem, the greatest trouble that's in someone is also in you. Now, maybe it hasn't grown to the degree that it is in the people that we, that we follow closely now, sure, as I looked at my wife and said, no, no, I would never do that. I would never do that. I would like to think that I would never do that. But I can imagine how someone could get there. See, what you guys don't know about me is that if you knew the thoughts that run through my head sometimes during the day, 
you would think that guy has no business being where he is right now. And if that freaks you out, let me just say this. That if we all knew the thoughts that were going through your head during the day sometimes, we would say there's no reason that you have the, any business to be in here. You know what I mean? So, so we'll just, uh, fortunately, that, that uh, invention of knowing other people's thoughts like women can do, fortunately, that hasn't been, right? Fortunately, that hasn't been invented yet. You don't know my thoughts, and I don't know your thoughts, and honestly, it's probably better that way because all of us have this propensity on the inside of us to mess up big time. Every one of us. Maybe, maybe you'd say, yeah, I, it's not a propensity. It's like real deal. I know what you're talking about because I have messed up big time. And as we're talking about in this series that how, how can you and I, how can we be the kind of people who when we've fallen, when we've messed up, when we're broken, when we're cracked, when we're stained, how can we be the kind of people that stand up and walk again? Britt Hume, the scout on Fox News, has gotten land blasted because he, uh, he, he made this comment about Tiger. And he said, you know what, the, the religion of Tiger Woods' mother is not going to help Tiger in this situation. Because his mother is a Buddhist. And Britt Hume reminded everyone that in the faith of, uh, of, of a Buddhist, there is no room for forgiveness. There is no room for grace. And he said, hopefully Tiger is going to find the Son of God because the Son of God offers grace. And I thought, now that's an interesting thought. And I think in there lies the answer to you and me on how when we fall, how we're going to be able to stand again and walk again. Um, We're going to look at the story in uh, John 13. It's a story about a guy named Peter. Peter is probably my favorite Bible story character. Um, And when I say Bible story character, he's a, he's a, a historic figure. I mean, this guy lived and was on the earth, which is crazy to think about. He's in history. Uh, If you've been anywhere in Europe, you've seen statues or paintings of Peter, St. Peter, an amazing guy. When you hear the title of St. Peter, he makes you think that he's this dignified, classy fella, when in all actuality, he's probably a lot more like Sawyer from Lost, you know what I mean? Actually, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking Sawyer from Lost combined with like the charm of Zach Morris, you know? Like just a weird, a weird conglomeration, like a mashup, if you will, of Zach Morris and Sawyer. Charming, but always saying the wrong thing at the, wrong, at the right time. I always wanted to get the last word in, was always looking to crack a joke, was always trying to, trying to uh, bust people, bust their chops, if you will. He was always messing with people, always playing jokes, but he was also real boisterous. And he was also not afraid to speak his mind, not afraid to, to, to say what he thought about life and about the situation. He's that guy in your class who speaks up and is always sure, but is never right. You know what I mean? Like always sure about the answer that he's giving or she's giving, but never quite right. And you're like, I love your ambition. It's your accuracy that has problems. You know, you're just missing it. And that's Peter, that he was, he was just a, a guy's kind of guy. I mean, he was a man's man. He's the kind of guy that I would like to be like. I would like to emulate this guy. Uh, The the problem is, is that Peter's life, it looked like the kind of life that you and I probably can relate to. And that's a problem because this. See, I don't know where you are in your your life. I don't know. I I obviously don't know all of you and you don't know me. And, but... All of us have the same, kind of, uh, the same kind of system to our life, the same kind of trajectory to our life. As much as we think 
that our life is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and we're going to mature and get older and get stronger and get wiser and get more knowledgeable, grow in money, grow in stature, grow in intellect. The reality is, is that our life is more like a roller coaster, that that's just the way life works, that you have ups and you have downs. That, that, that one day you got a great day and things are looking good and everybody's singing your praises and the next day you mess up, you fail a test, you say something wrong, you, you make somebody mad, you call somebody who's not pregnant pregnant and you do something really, really dumb and you hit rock bottom. That that's the way life works. And for the rest of your life, hey, welcome to life, but that's the way it's gonna work. I would imagine if you were to trace your, your background, that's the way your life has worked. It's been an up and down kind of life. And I'm a positive person. I mean, that's the, the, my normal bent is to be positive, but my life has been like this. It's been an up and down roller coaster ride. And the same is true about your faith. The same is true about your growth in your faith. That if you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Jesus, the Son of God, that, that your growth in godliness is not this climb. It's not this, oh, I'm getting better and better, but it's more like a roller coaster. Life is cyclical in that way. That we have good times and we have bad times, and that's good news and that's bad news, but that looks a lot like the life of Peter. That Peter's life was constantly doing this number. Check this out. It, it, this is the way he kind of comes on the scene after he's been introduced to Jesus, he's been following Jesus a little bit. Jesus begins to talk about how he's going to go away. Jesus lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. You can't dispute the fact that he lived. You can dispute a lot of things about his life, but no one disputes the fact that he's a mythical character or something like that. No, he's a real person who lived on the earth, and he claimed to be the son of God. Radical claim. He claimed to be the son of God, said, hey, there's going to come a day when I'm going to give my life and die so that you can know the father. He was making statements like that. And he was saying things like, I come from the Father. If you, if you want to know the Father, you get to know me, and you can get to know the Father. And people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is nuts. And, and Peter was going along with it and going, this is good stuff. But Peter, just like every other Jew of that day, was thinking, yeah, maybe Jesus is the Messiah, but if he is, he's not going to die. He's going to kick butt and make everyone else die because that's what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to come back and take over and take names. And Peter was thinking, this is the kind of guy I want to follow. So when Jesus starts talking about things like, hey, I'm going to give my life up so you can know the Father, Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't sign up for this. When you start kicking butt, that's when I wanted to be a part of it, all right? You lost me at I'm going to die because I thought you were going to live and we're all going to live and I'm going to be at your right hand. And he was getting in disputes about whether or not he was going to get to be at his right hand or what follower was. And so Peter wasn't following that. We find that in John 13. Check this out. Jesus had just made some comments like this, foreshadowing what was going to happen in John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, you say you're going somewhere. Where are you going? Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow, but you will follow later. In other words, he's going like, hey, where I'm going, literally, you can't follow, and you will follow like thoughtfully later. Like, you'll get it later, Peter. You're a little slow on the uptick. You know what I mean? Verse 37, and Peter said, yeah, but Lord, get this. I mean, how many times have you had a moment like this, you know, the end of the camp when you were in middle school or high school, maybe it was like at passion at the passion conference, or maybe it was like you hit rock bottom, or maybe you had this like high on this mountain and you made this comment. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you. 
Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus said, uh, Peter, I appreciate, I appreciate the ambition, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. If you were to turn over to John 18, we're, we're going to just talk through that. What we find is we find John, the author of this book, sets up, he sets up this, uh, this movie almost where he's going from scene to scene. Fast forward in Jesus' life, and Jesus is now on trial to be, to be crucified. He's on trial on, on a Jewish stand. The Jewish people had put him on trial, and then he, goes to, then, he goes, uh, then he goes before the government, the Roman government, and is put on their stand. And Jesus is on trial, and inside the trial room is where Jesus is, and just outside there's this courtyard. And Peter's out there kicking it in the courtyard, followed Jesus there, and he's with John. Peter's hanging out with John, and he wants to get in the courtyard. As he's getting in there, this girl at the door goes, hey, don't I know you? You look like a Galilean, and Jesus is a Galilean. Are you with him? And Peter goes, "Uh, uh, uh, not me. And then John flashes back to this scene. Jesus is being cussed at. He's being spit at. He's being uh, mocked. He's being called a liar. In, 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 part, in his greatest need, John sets that up, builds the tension there, and then he flashes back. And John says, meanwhile, back in the courtyard, more people are beginning to question Peter. Somebody looks at him and says, no, 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 I'm telling you, I've seen you before with him. Were you not with him? And he said, no, nah, I, I, I you got the wrong person. You got the wrong man. I, I, don't, I don't know him. I wasn't with him. And again, Peter denies and says, even in your greatest need, I, I don't want to be associated with that. Meanwhile, John flips back to this scene and the trial gets heated. People are continuing to hurl insults at him and say, if you're really the son of God, why don't you speak? And Jesus just sits there quietly, just taking on all of the shame and all of the guilt that wasn't his own. John builds the tension there and he flashes back. As he flashes back, Peter's standing there again by this fire, keeping warm, hoping to not be caught, hoping to not be found out. Earlier, just hours earlier, Peter was in this garden. Told you that Peter was a brash guy, not afraid to do anything. This guard had come up to Jesus about to take him under arrest. And what did Peter do? Peter whipped out his sword and chopped the guy's ear off. Just crouching tiger, hidden dragon style. Nasty player. What's up now? Ears falling on the ground. Jesus picks up the guy. He looks at Peter like with one of those looks like, Peter, dude, put the sword away. Picks up the guy's ear and just puts it right back on the guy's head. I mean, that would... I mean, would that not blow your mind? I mean, cutting the guy's ear off is one thing, but putting it back on, like, which is greater? I don't know. It's like, which came first, chicken or the egg? Like, nuts, crazy stuff. Well, that guy who got his ear cut off, you got to imagine, circulated that story in hours, you know. Hey, did you hear about my ear? You see anything? Notice anything's wrong? It's a little crooked. You know why? Just was cut off, and he put it back on. I know, crazy. You're not going to believe it. Well, that guy's cousin... His cuz is in the courtyard, and he looks at Peter, and he goes, I have seen you before. Where have I seen you? And he looks at him, and he goes, I know who you are. You're the guy who was with Jesus who cut my cousin's ear off. 
And at that point, Peter gets irate and says, by God, he calls down curses on himself. He swears on the Bible, basically, is what he did, and said, I don't know what you're talking about, and I for sure do not know that man. And as soon as he hit rocks bottom, as he hits rocks, rocks, what? As soon as he hit rock bottom, what happened? This rooster, a faint rooster crow in the background. And the amazing thing about Peter's fall, and it's the question that you and I have got to face, that when we fall, that whether it's an addiction that's holding you back, whether it's something you'd say, it's not an addiction, I got it under control. Meanwhile, you're reorganizing your schedule around it. Meanwhile, it's a habit that you know is destructive. Whether it's an addiction or not, it's killing me. Something that you know, man, this is eventually, if I were to ask you and say, hey, what would Satan, if there really is an enemy, Jesus believed there was this enemy who's come to destroy your life, if the enemy were to attack you, where would he attack you? I guarantee you every one of you would go, I know exactly what he would do. He would make me feel like I'm not worthwhile because maybe you struggle with an identity. Maybe you'd say, he'd make me uh, a sex addict because I can understand how you could get there. Maybe you'd say, he'd make me really, really jealous because I'm eaten up with it sometimes when I think about other people long enough. He, he would really attack the fact that I'm really, really angry at my parents and my mom and my stepdad, and I don't know how to get over that. I guarantee you, you know exactly what it is. And, and the question for all of us is, are we gonna be in tune enough to hear that rooster crowing in the background uh, saying, hey, you're down, but you don't, you don't have to stay down. Peter heard that rooster crow, and he immediately ran, took off. Who knows where he went? I would imagine he went and found a corner somewhere in the town and just cried his eyes out and says, in, in, in the moment of my Savior's greatest need, I failed him most. See, if you think you've fallen, I'm telling you, Peter fell harder than any of us would ever know. Fast forward to John 21, we see the way this story ends. This is so beautiful. John 21, verse 15. Check this out. They'd finished eating. They, they had gone fishing. They finished eating. Jesus had been crucified on a cross, and he had resurrected from the dead. How do we know that? Because he's walking around in, in with people, saying hello to people, talking to people, appearing to a few, then appearing to more, then appearing to over 500 witnesses of people. If this was a hoax, it would have been smashed out. It would have been snuffed out. If this was a lie, people would have found out about it. You can't lie about that for as long as people have been believing it. It's unbelievable. He's walking around and hundreds of people witnessed him. Well, he's now fishing with some of his closest followers. There's a fire. John sets this. I love the way he compares and contrasts these two scenes. The courtyard and the fire right by the lake. He sets a fire. They're all sitting around the fire in the same way that the, that the denial happened. John sets this up in John 21. He says this, while they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than everybody else? In other words, saying, hey, do you remember when you said you would lay down your life for me? Well, I got, I got a question for you. Do you love me more than all of these and Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. In other words, be a part of the ministry that I've given you. Take the role that I've given you. Then he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. And the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
for the third time. And I'm sure when the third time hit, Peter goes, oh, I get get what you're doing. This kind of hurts, but I get it. And thinking maybe on the third time, who knows what Peter was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, oh, I get it, third time. Now you're going to be like, get out of here. You're done, disqualified. I'm sorry, you had your chance. If you'd have just denied me once, maybe I'd have let you in twice. Maybe you'd have been okay, but third time, you're out. Three strikes, buddy, done. But Jesus doesn't do that. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. In other words, take the role that I've given you. Even though you've fallen, you don't have to stay down. Jesus introduced this amazing concept that is unique to Christianity. It's called grace. It's getting what you least deserve but you most need. It's saying, hey, I'm not going to count what you did against you. Even though the voice of shame comes and whispers all kinds of lies in your moment of solitude, even though there's a voice inside your head saying, you're not worth it, you've been disqualified, you failed, get out of here. Jesus says, no, I'm going to offer you grace. And he says, Peter, even though you gave your life to me and you fell down, you don't have to stay down. But by the grace of God, you can stand up. By the grace of God, you can stand up. Peter, I know you've fallen down, but you don't have to stay down. You can stand up. And God says the same thing to every one of us. I don't care how you've fallen down. I don't care how you messed up. But I want you to stand up again in my grace. And you might say, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, you're right. It's just not normal. It's just not normal for a God to look at you and me and say, I'm not going to count what you did wrong against you, even though all of us are cracked and broken and bruised. But the way you stand up again is you stand under a fountain of grace a massive fountain of grace that God unleashes on our life through his son Jesus who carries the banner and and tells us the message that I'm not going to count what you did against you as wrong. Even though you've fallen down, I'm going to let you stand up again in my grace and you can walk again. See, the way the church works, unfortunately, is the church disqualifies people The church says, hey, you got to live up to a certain standard, and if you don't meet the standard, then you're not in. And Jesus says, that's not the way I work, because the reality is no one meets the standard. You can't get high enough on on the chart. You can't measure out all the wrong you've done with good deeds. But I am gonna send my son for you so that you can walk again. See, I don't know where that sits with you. I don't know. For some of you, that's good news. For some of you, I would imagine you go, well, that's kind of scary. Are you trying to tell people that they can do whatever they want to do? Are you giving people a license to sin, to just live however they want to live? Yeah. Because if you understand it any other way, then you don't understand grace. Because grace says you can do the worst thing imaginable. And God will say, it's okay, I I I forgive you. Because it's not about what you've done it's about what my son did and some people think god that's abuse that seems like that's abusive how could you say that about god wouldn't people take advantage of that i would imagine that you do every day because i know i do but that's grace that's grace it's amazing 
it's unthinkable. It's just not normal. See, but the reality is, is that if you really understand the gospel, if you really understand grace, when someone offers you grace, you don't want to abuse it. What you want to do is you want to say, out of love, I'm going to live a different way. See, the reality is, if you went out and took a jog, and you were like, man, I'm really, really uh, thirsty because I just ran a couple of miles, and I need something to drink, and you run in your apartment, and you throw open the, the door underneath the sink, you're looking for something to drink, you're like, we don't have anything in here, and you catch a bottle of Windex, and you're like, finally, something to drink, and you crack open the top, and you just start chugging it, would it quench your thirst for a little bit? You'd probably feel pretty good for a couple minutes, and then you would feel the consequences of it. And you'd probably throw up and eventually you would die. Because it's not good for you, okay? So big message tonight, don't drink Windex. But the reality is that if you live a life saying, I'm just going to abuse grace, I'm going to live however I want to live, you don't understand grace. Because grace doesn't mean that you live however you want to live. Grace means I'm accepting your grace and I'm changing. I'm living a different way. Because grace is so powerful. And you weren't meant to live just running off, doing whatever you want to do. But God says, there's a best way for you to live. And it's loving me with everything you have. And when you understand grace, that's the response that you want to have. Is you want to say, you know what? Even though I've fallen down, I'm not going to stay down, but I'm going to stand up in God's grace and live differently. So you can't just accept grace once. You've got to learn how to accept grace every single day of your life, continually, Saying, God, I don't deserve it. God, I don't get it. But your son is amazing. You are amazing. And you've given me another life. God, I was down. I had fallen. And by your grace, I'm going to stand up and walk again. It's amazing grace. And that's how you and I can be broken and cracked and shattered and stained people and walk again. Hey, if this doesn't mean anything to you now, you need to put it in your back pocket for the day when you really fall. Because every one of us is going to fall. And on that day, I hope that you look up to God and don't curse him, but say, God, thank you for your grace. There's a man named Philip Yancey that wrote this book called What is So Amazing About Grace. He says this. This is an unbelievable quote. He says, from nursery school onward, we are taught how to succeed in the world of ungrace. The early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. There's no such thing as free lunch. Demand your rights. Get what you pay for. No pain and no gain. There is no such thing. uh, I already read that, sorry. I know these rules well because I live by them. I work hard for what I earn and I like to win. I insist on my rights. I want people to get what they deserve, nothing more and nothing less. Yet, and this is a big yet, don't miss this. He says, yet, if I care to pay attention to a loud whisper from the gospel that I did not get what I deserved. You see, I deserved wrath and I got love. I deserved a debtor's prison and I got a clean credit history. I deserved punishment and I got forgiveness. And that is you and that's me. Later on in Peter's life, he wanted to write this letter about his life. He was writing to some other people, encouraging them. And he wrote this right here. This is in 1 Peter 5.10. He said, And the God of all grace. Would you just let that sink in on your life real quick? The God 
of all grace. When he wrote that, I bet his pen almost exploded. I'm sure tears filled his eyes, knowing this can't be true, that the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And then there's no other reply except to say this, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. To him be the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever, amen. Why? Because the God of all grace has said, you don't have to stay down. Even though you've fallen down, you don't have to stay down, but you can stand up and you can walk again. The God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the glory forever and ever for that. I don't know if that's any of your lives. I don't know if anybody resonates with that. But I thought it would be a cool way to end the night. Eddie and Brad are just going to play a little bit. We're going to sing a song in just a second. But I would love to pray over you. If you would say, hey, that's me. That I need to know the God of all grace. That I have fallen that I'm cracked, I'm broken, and I need to stand up under God's grace. If that's you and you say, that's where I am right now, would you just stand up and let me pray for you? This might seem wild, it might seem crazy, but will you just stand up and say, that's me, that I need to know that the God of all grace will himself restore me and make me strong and firm and steadfast. You don't have to sit in your shame anymore, but the Son of God has said, you're free. You are free. You can live in freedom, that the God of all grace has set you free, and you can be restored. It's just not normal, but it's true that the God of all grace lives, and he wants you to walk in freedom and say that, God, I can be restored in you. Let me just pray real quick for you. I'm so proud that you would stand up under that. God, I just pray for these friends, God, these men and these women who would say, that's me. Man, I'm cracked, I'm broken, I'm hurting who knows what I'm walking in, and I need to know there's hope. I need to know that I don't have to stay down, that the God of all grace will himself restore me and make me strong and firm and steadfast and give me hope and give me purpose and let me walk again. God, that is me. God, that is me. That is me. God, and I pray for these college students that they would just stand under that for a moment and say, How amazing is it that the God of all grace has given me freedom? That I don't have to be the same, that I can be changed. God, I pray that they would walk in that. I pray they would live in that. I pray moment by moment, God, in the next day, that the the devil, Satan himself, would not rip that from them, but you would hold them secure and make them strong. God, help them to know that the God of all grace can restore. He can make us whole again. God, that's just not normal. That's amazing grace. God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for Jesus, the son of God. God, it's by your grace that we can walk again, God. And thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that that would never grow old. That would never, we would never get tired of it. That would never seem old hat. That would always be fresh and real in our lives. That the God of all grace has restored us through your son, Jesus. God, we love you. We don't want to be the same, God. We want to be new people, walking in your truth, walking in freedom. Hey, would you stand up? Everybody, just real quick, and we're going to, Eddie's going to lead us in this song.